Welcome to One on One. My name is Steven Sloan, and my application for being the last Horcrux wasn't accepted, and I'm kind of sad about it. And joining me live from the nation's capital, my very own brother Mick. How you doing, bro, bro? Are you going to talk about, like, for the sake of transparency, are you going to talk about how you're also in the nation's capital? Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, we're both technically in the nation's capital. Uh, I've been in D.C. for an internship all summer, hence why we haven't done any podcasts. It's not because we, we don't want to. We just, we've been very busy men this summer, but we are excited to get right back into it. We got the chance, the rapper music, we got, we get, we're ready to go. This is season two, season two of the one-on-one podcast. Yeah, this is, it's so ironic that actually us being in the same city made it harder for us to record. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to explain yeah. it, but yeah, that's a good way to think about it. I think of it as like how a TV show gets like a half season order to kick things off and then we come back with a full one. Yeah, exactly. They were like, we went to the execs, they were like, guys, we like what you're doing. We just need you to take a little bit of a summer break, just like hammer out some of the details and let's come back and do a full order for the season two so yeah that's kind of what so we're hello doing. america we're back in the building i think at least like two or three of you were wondering if we were ever going to come back mostly people from my office but we did not forget about you and we're back and we're back with something that i didn't expect to be topical again but uh you want to let them know what we're talking about yeah so we're, we're talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart and that is the wonderful world of harry potter uh, specifically the four um, Hogwarts houses, you know, with uh, Cursed Child coming into the news, uh, that just being released, and just a general sort of feeling that Harry Potter's coming back. You got the magical creatures and where to find them. Uh, Wait, I thought it was Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Oh, that that sounds right. It's really actually Secret Beasts and where they that are. Was, yeah, so that for, for context, we happened to be at a movie together when we first saw the trailer for that movie. Starring Academy Award winner Eddie Redmayne, and afterwards I said, "So, what did you think of that trailer for Magic Things and Where They Are?" And that was seriously what I thought the title was in that brief moment. So I, I think it's important to point out because this is very important to some people, including to J.K. Rowling herself. We're not going to we're not going to spend much time on Cursed Child because neither of us has read it even though I read an entire plot summary so I feel like I read it. If we do talk about it, we're going to throw up a spoiler alert before that, but we're definitely going to go into some detail I would imagine about the seven books and the movies. So, yeah. If you yeah. haven't read those or seen those, I don't really know what to tell you. I don't know why you're listening. I know what to tell you. Go read them. Yeah, because if you haven't read those, I don't know why you didn't turn off the podcast two minutes ago. But this has reignited the national conversation about Harry Potter, so we got to dig into it. And we're breaking our one-on-one rule, but the point is that it is about trying to figure out which is the best, and we're just going to take these one at a time. Yeah, yeah. So sort of a little bit of full disclosure. Um, I am a flag-waving Ravenclaw. Uh, and my brother just found out that he is a proud member of Gryffindor. Yeah, um, I, I took the quiz on the Pottermore website literally 10 minutes ago because I thought, hey, it might be good if I knew what 
what my result was before we did this. Yep. So we just kind of want to get into a little bit about uh, the houses and how they differ and kind of more importantly, how we as a sort of Harry Potter consuming public view the houses. Because I think it's really interesting how, how it's sort of our cultural relationship to the houses has developed in a really interesting way. So actually, that really chimes into what I was thinking about before we even started recording this. And I was hoping we could get into it for a minute before we start talking mm-hmm. about the houses themselves. Something that I think about, because I wonder when people, when authors write these things, if they realize what sorts of things are going to be enormously important and what are going to be touchstones of their work. Do you think mm-hmm. that J.K. Rowling ever imagined when she wrote about like the sorting hat and the houses at the beginning of Sorcerer's Stone, do you think she ever imagined it would be this kind of enormous deal that fans would engage with to this degree? I, I don't know. I think it's interesting because, um, and granted, I'm not really a, uh, an expert on the English schooling system, um, but I know that houses, or more specifically like colleges or schools, are much more common in England, um, especially at English universities. Uh, often the colleges are actually residential colleges. Um, so you have this sort of house structure where people live with other college members. And so it looks a lot more like um, the Hogwarts house system works. Mm. Um, and so I actually think that for her, it was just like, well, this is how school works. So I'm just going to find like fun names for the houses and it'll just be fine. But I think when it hit America, that's really not something that we've done. No. And so I I don't think she thought that it was going to be this huge thing because I think to her, it was just kind of how school works. Yeah, it kind of became a form of a new form of tribalism here. And there were obviously most people probably wanted to be, I feel like most people probably wanted to be Gryffindor, but as we'll talk about (laughs) later... It seems like as the generation got older and started thinking about alternative culture and alternative styles, I think Ravenclaw kind of became like a bit of a sleeper favorite, even though, and we'll we'll definitely get into this because this is something that I think about probably more than a reasonable person should. It's really amazing just how little Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw factor into the plot of these books. And that's something that yeah, I'm totally yeah, yeah. ready to go in. And this isn't going to be me like bagging on J.K. Rowling, even though I think that she's sort of she's in danger of becoming George Lucas circa uh, Phantom Menace on the track she's going. And I'm a little I'm a little concerned about her, the track she's going on, creatively speaking. But there's just there's some things I think that the houses are so are such an interesting and important part of the Harry Potter universe they might be the thing that people have connected with the most. And I wonder if she really thought about that when she set the plot around basically just all the heroes are from Gryffindor, all the villains are from Slytherin, and the rest of the people are just kind of there. So that's something that I've I've always found kind of interesting. Yeah, and I think, though, I think she now understands that the houses are probably the most lasting cultural footprint of uh, Harry Potter, besides, obviously, the story. Um, and I think you see this in the rollout of... Um, I keep I keep blanking on the name. Uh, fantastic Creatures. Fantastic and Beasts and Where They Are. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, and them. Where to Find Them. This uh, is... This is... It's, that's... We just have to team up. You, I, you've got the first half of it, and I've got fantastic the second half. Fantastic Beasts. Be and where to find yeah. them. Yeah. We're not, uh, we're not cutting... Because... We're not cutting any of this in post, by the way. No. 
<laughs> no, we're not. Uh, and the the thing that I noticed was that one of the very first things in the rollout of uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was uh, a house sorting quiz. And this is why I forced you to take it. Oh, yeah. Uh, for the, because, the American one. Yeah, for the Ilvermorny um, School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Uh, those of you, like, deep Harry Potter. What Potter a terrible name. Know, it's not phenomenal. The house names yeah. aren't great. I'm, I'm a member of... Uh, the fabulous Thunderbird house, <laughs> and Mick is in a house called of something called Puckwoodie. I was not happy when I found that out. I didn't even know what it <laughs> meant, and I don't understand the significance of it. But I took it personally mm. that that they stuck me in that. But what I noticed was that, like, first of all, it appeared relatively early. Um, but I also noticed that people didn't really talk about Fantastic Beasts until that quiz went up on Pottermore. And so I think like she's realized that it is a very important entry point because it orients you as a person and as an individual who sort of knows roughly who they are and how they behave, it orients you in this world. Right. Like, you know, just by having that doorway of saying, if I went to the school, I would be a Ravenclaw. Immediately you can put yourself in that world. And I think that's why it's so important. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because it was so natural. And actually, it's still pretty common to, and I actually heard this a lot. It's funny that this takes me back to this it kind of reminds me of when I started my freshman year at William and Mary and more than a few times I heard someone say, I'm still waiting for my owl from Hogwarts. (laughs) And so, and it's interesting. And, and like you said, I think that certainly for an American audience, I think that having those types of categories and that sort of tribalism for lack of a better word, I think is a, is an important way for people to sort of orient themselves in that world. And it's an important part of the world building as they're rolling out that release. And obviously, I mean, not to, not to uh, put the horse before the, the cart before the horse, the horse does go before the cart. We, we are a very nationalistic country. You know, we are very, we have a lot of pride. Those of you who've been watching the Olympics thus far will know we like to chant our name. (laughs) And so, like, nationalism and tribalism comes very naturally to us uh, as a country and really as a species, frankly. You know, we like to we like to organize ourselves into like minded groups. Uh, And I think that's the other reason why the houses have been so important, because we like to think that we see somebody, we see what house they're from and we're like, okay, I understand that person on some level. And so it allows us to sort of connect with people that we wouldn't necessarily connect with automatically because we already have sort of a window into who they are and we know that if we band together we'll have roughly similar interests beliefs uh thoughts etc right so let's let's just kick things off do we want to start with gryffindor because it's the most important from the narrative standpoint yeah sure okay so as our resident gryffindor why don't you want to talk a little bit about it so i don't really have anything particularly interesting to say about it other than that they're brave and courageous and desire glory, which is kind of interesting. I remember when I took the quiz literally 15 minutes ago, you said that you <laughs> thought I was going to be either a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff. And I think that I, I got Gryffindor and I think that's partly because I like attention too much to be a Hufflepuff. <laughs> and so it's interesting that from the beginning, it's a very clear dichotomy that Gryffindor are the heroes. And everybody mm-hmm. else is not a hero. Right, or just kind of like a yeah. existing... And, and yeah, and everything about the world is kind of oriented around that. Like, I think that someone in the book says, I heard even Dumbledore was a Gryffindor. 
And it's like, does anyone not want to be a Gryffindor? I feel like it would be mm-hmm. just a crushing disappointment to not be a Gryffindor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting because I think we think of Gryffindor as like a flawless house, much in the way we sort of think of Slytherin as a a house without any redeeming qualities. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. But you have to remember that like for a Gryffindor, like as positive as the courage and the bravery and the the sort of... Uh, gregariousness that sort of is the hallmark of the house you have to remember that like vainglory comes alongside that like attention hogging like you said you know it's it's not all like wine and roses there's uh there's weaknesses to it too and i think there's a reason why all of the heroes come from from gryffindor and this kind of goes into uh, a point that i want to make sort of about the kind of holy trinity of the harry potter universe obviously harry hermione and ron (laughs) the holy trinity what's interesting about them is i think they kind of reveal the unique position that um gryffindor and slytherin are in as houses because when you think of houses as like personalities uh the interesting thing about those two is that they're really kind of secondary things you look at somebody like hermione who is sort of a textbook ravenclaw right smart uh curious knowledgeable and yet she's a Gryffindor because it's the way she applies that intelligence is in service of courageous acts and heroism right off the bat that kind of confuses me so Mm -hmm. I don't understand how it came to be that smart and brave became mutually exclusive things I don't understand for example why Considering that so much of what defines Hermione throughout the entire series is how smart and how logical and how like precise she is, mm-hmm. the fact that she wasn't sorted into Ravenclaw, I don't like. What's the point of having a house that's supposedly for like very smart, like clever people when the smartest and most clever person in the entire book isn't in it? That's what I think is interesting, and I think that's like the flaw of Gryffindor as a house is that there isn't really a like bravery isn't a primary characteristic. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at somebody and they would define themselves as being brave. Right. You apply bravery to other skills. Like you can be brave and loyal. Yeah. Uh, You can be smart and brave. Yeah. And, and Slytherin is similar in that Slytherin is not that you're evil. It's that you are cunning or street smart or ambitious. And you can apply intelligence to ambitiousness. You can apply loyalty to ambitiousness. You know, they're, they're sort of secondary things, which is why I think you, you're left with a really interesting conundrum in that what you're talking about. Like, you have somebody like Hermione, who is obviously as, as smart and uh, curious enough to be a Ravenclaw, but ulti- ultimately her most salient uh, characteristic is that she applies that knowledge and that, that thirst for learning to a a brave or uh, heroic purpose. And I think that's what sort of makes her a Gryffindor. So here's an interesting thing, and I actually think that kind of the source of conflict or of debate that we'll have in this podcast is the way that we kind of view the lens and the way that that these houses and their relationships were constructed. My theory is that I think Rowling kind of wrote herself into a corner with this one in the sense that I think that she didn't put a ton of thought into the actual attributes of the houses when she wrote the book. And then once they became such a crucial bonding point for the fans, 
she realized that there was really nothing that she could do. Like, I do kind of wonder if with the benefit of hindsight and with the way that the rest of the book series turned out, if she would go about revising the way that these houses were gone. Because it doesn't really make sense to make these kinds of clear distinctions other than that Gryffindor is a good label that someone is important. Well, I think the thing is that, like, the point of Gryffindor and Slytherin is that they are narratively vital sort of tropes. You know, they're a a repository for important narrative characters. Because in order to figure prominently in the story as a hero, you would have to be, by definition, a Gryffindor. Because it requires that bravery, that initiative, that heroism. Yeah. Right? And meanwhile, in order to be classified as sort of a quintessential villain, you would have to be a Slytherin because it's about ambition. It's about doing things that maybe are outside what we would consider proper to get what you want. The sort of characteristic uh, qualities of villains, for the most part, will always align with Slytherin. I think what her f- the mistake was was that the the characters along the way, the ancillary characters, weren't given enough focus. Yeah. You know, because, like, the question would be begged, like, if Cho Chang did something brave, then why wasn't she a, a Gryffindor? Especially because you look at somebody like Hermione. Does Cho Chang do anything is, brave? Sidebar here. Uh, yeah, she fights in Dumbledore's army. Like, she's, she's sort of a foot soldier, but she's not important in the way, like, Neville is. No, but either. see, the funny thing about that was they mm-hmm. framed that in kind of an awkward way that they made it seem like she joined that because of harry well that was the implication yeah which that wasn't that by the way wasn't great female um empowerment and gender politics by jk well you know she has Ginny, she has uh luna like there's there's enough like people who do things for the right reasons that like somebody like a cho chang who uh sort of does it to glom on to harry is is another potential character not necessarily representative of all women in the in the story universe. can we can we dig into something real quick i wasn't gonna trot yeah, this out sure. early and i wasn't um i got i have <laughs> uh, some like hot takes stored up about this series and i was really gonna try and keep them in the pocket until later but i gotta let this i gotta go, let go this one it. go so it doesn't make sense that neville is a is a gryffindor and i think that that was part of something that i kind of took exception to with the entire series which was that J.K. Rowling tried really hard to force this idea that Neville might actually be the chosen one and he was actually really important. And it it always felt so forced and so lame to me. I'm going to sound like such a jerk right now. If we had, if we had (laughs) loyal following, a loyal following, I would probably be getting like death threats for this. But a good example is starting one off. I think that him being put in Gryffindor when he doesn't really do anything brave or courageous or in pursuit of glory or even particularly functional to the story in the early goings of it. The most important thing she does that he does in the first one is he gets injured so that Harry learns how to fly. And then at the end, they win the house cup because... Well, no, rem- that's important, though. I think that's when he sort of reveals himself as a worthy Gryffindor, when he realizes maybe the right thing or the the most popular thing isn't necessarily to stop his friends from from going to to find the sorcerer's stone but ultimately he knows he has the courage to stand up and say no what you guys are doing is dangerous and you shouldn't but do it but he was wrong he he was wrong he, like, like like i feel like i feel like that's more of a 
based on the description I read 20 minutes ago of I I pulled up I pulled up the poem that the sorting house that the sorting hat mm-hmm. reads and he talks about how hufflepuffs are about justice and doing the right thing and like fairness mm-hmm. and that kind of seems more in line with the types of things Neville does in the thing like isn't he trying to keep them him trying to keep them in line and keep them safe and prudent isn't that kind of the thing that makes sense? Well, that's the thing. Neville is probably the best case for the flaw in J.K. Rowling using Gryffindor as shorthand for the heroes of the yeah, story. Yeah, th- that that's the that's yeah. the best example. I think I yeah, think like that... he is clearly because Hermione, it's much clearer. Like you can see, yes, she's smart, but ultimately she is a Gryffindor because she uses that in a very direct way. Whereas Neville is much more... I think you're right. I think Neville probably should be a Hufflepuff. And you can compare him to somebody like Ron, who is, in my uh, opinion, also very sort of uh, a sort of characteristic Hufflepuff. He's loyal. He's just. He cares about his friends. But ultimately, again, it's to this purpose of courageous acts. And so that's why he is a Gryffindor at the end of the day. Whereas you look at somebody like Neville, who shares a lot of those qualities... But it doesn't apply them in the same way that Ron does over the course of the story. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the failing, like you like you're were sort of digging into, that Rowling clearly saw, okay, Gryffindor is the good people house. When somebody sees a Gryffindor, they know, okay, they're probably a good guy and an important yeah, guy. Yeah, because I feel like making him I feel yeah. like making him a Gryffindor was sort of her way of coding to the reader that this person is important and virtuous and a hero. And the thing is yeah. Every every choice made with that character just always drove me crazy. So <laughs> no, I I really I really did. I think it's the biggest flaw from like a writing and like a character building perspective in the entire series. So okay, first and foremost, it, it makes for like a nice little like heartwarming ending. But the fact that they win the House Cup in the first book because cause Dumbledore decided to throw 10 points at Neville because it's hard to stand up to your... Like, are you kidding me? I went to, I went to high school and... That would have absolutely triggered a riot if that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he, like, swoops in and, like, kicks the Slytherins out of the top position, I would have, like... I would have just gone nuts in yeah, the hall. Yeah, like right there. Like I would have just been like, "This is ridiculous." Dumbledore is clearly paying fa- playing. Yeah, favorites. I would have. I would have gone yeah. ballistic. And also, here's the thing: yeah. like, did they really have to knock the Slytherins off? This just reinforces the fact that Slytherins were meant to suffer, which is something we're going to get yeah. into later. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But this yeah, is. Yeah, but yeah. this is completely ridiculous to me. I just don't understand it. And then they kept pushing the fact that they always left it kind of ambiguous and thinking that maybe Neville was actually the chosen one, even though there was no reason to believe that. I feel like that's another instance where she kind of backed herself into a corner a bit because I think she kind of wanted in the end for Neville to be the chosen one. But as the books went on, she realized it would have been literally impossible to make that happen. And it would have just been so bizarre. Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting sort of sliding door accident of history kind of thing it just so happened that Voldemort went to Harry that night you know they talk about the prophecy and it was equally possible that it was Neville who he went to instead and and you just get a really interesting look at a person who is aggressively ordinary yeah sort of being that close to being extraordinary 
I think is interesting. It's just she should have let it, uh, you know, sort of let sleeping dogs lie, as it yeah. were. Yeah, it's just I don't understand what the point was of. Yeah, I don't understand what the point was of playing that up as it got later into the series. I think it would have been interesting, and I think a way to sort mm-hmm. of unpack his role in the story is the idea that he could have been so close to being the one, and how different it could have been, mm-hmm. but there was never really much lip service paid to that concept. It was more so that like, I remember in the fifth one with the prophecy, I think if I'm remembering this correctly, where they go to the ministry of, of secrets yeah, yeah, yeah. and they find the prophecy and it talks about how the prophecy that someone born in the end of July or something would defeat the dark Lord. And mm-hmm. Harry's all like, well, I guess that's me. And Dumbledore says, well, no, it could be Neville. But, like, yeah. are you yeah. kidding me with that? And There's no way it's Neville. <laughs> well, I don't... You know, at the end of the day, I think Neville's... It's interesting because Neville has a fascinating parallel journey to Harry. The The thing about Harry that's very um, interesting is that he is great at all times, but he's not good very often. You know, he's kind of arrogant. He's kind of petulant. He's kind of dumb. Yeah. Uh, basically, he he rides Hermione's back through his seven years of school to make sure he doesn't flunk. Yeah, out. that's true. She really like, she really carries him. But like at all times, Neville is good. He's generous towards his friends. He tries hard. He's in a lot of ways. He's sort of the way heroes are supposed to be. You know, just earnest and good and caring and brave. And that doesn't always work out. Um, and I think it's interesting to sort of have that par- parallel where you have these two guys who could have been of equal importance. And in this moment of sort of crisis, one was chosen over the other. Yeah. And at times it feels like the wrong one was chosen. Like Neville is sort of a sad sack, but at the same time, he's also probably the best person in the book. Yeah. So it's so, okay. So I get it. So when you put it that way, it does sort of seem like so much of Harry's accomplishments are a function of the people around him. And a function of his chosen. Yeah, yeah, but that that's what I mean. Like he's he's yeah. surrounded by the best people because he was chosen. So he was kind exactly. of extraordinary because he was chosen, not because any sort of ex- or intrinsic factors specific to him. Right. So that is kind of interesting. It's almost like it should have that he should have been the hero all along. But that's exactly. the kind of that's... Neville sort of is a quintessential from a character or to to borrow a sports term from a makeup perspective. Yeah. Neville is a much more sort of archetypical except the fa- except for the fact that figure. he's a complete like he's a complete sad sack. Yeah, except for the fact that he's a loser. But like you have to ask yourself if he were the chosen one would that be different? Would he be braver? Would he be having that sort of accidental yeah. rush with It's kind of a, it's kind of a nature versus nurture with, type yeah. of thing. I think her sort of flaw was that she tried to turn him into something that he wasn't. Yeah. You know, he started as this what if, but he ended as a hero in a very traditional sense. You know, he kills the final Horcrux. He becomes this like And that and that's key and that's figure. stupid. Like it's stupid that yeah. he kills the snake. There were so many people. Why didn't Hermione get to kill the snake? Hermione got Harry through six years of school and <laughs> she doesn't even get to kill the snake at the end. I think because Rowling looked back and was like, "Oh man, like uh, Hermione's gotten to to do all this cool stuff. Ron's gotten to do all this cool stuff. Obviously, Harry's well. Gotten to okay, do all first this cool things stuff. first. Like Hermione's mm-hmm. the best character. I feel like. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. She's a she's really interesting. Her arc is probably the most relatable and yeah. interesting I, of all three yeah. of them. 
But so anyway, I think we've I think we've spent enough oxygen on Gryffindor. <laughs> but the fact yeah. that we've spent so much time digging into it is really indicative of my greater point that mm-hmm. they talk that they talked about ascribing labels of bravery and valor to it. And that's something that I th- I kind of I can't help but wonder if if Rowling could have that back if she would change that. I think that it would have been easy enough to have a house that consolidated all of the main important characters in it without mm-hmm. having them all united by these ideas of bravery. I think it kind of would have been more interesting if they had ended up in the same house completely by fate. And if it had turned out at the end, it had just been like, well, you were in the same house because you had to be. Because you had to be mm-hmm. together to achieve all that you were going to achieve. I think that, in a way, could have been more cool. It sort of cheapens the idea of the sorting hat being this omnipotent and all-powerful thing. It's actually almost more like a BuzzFeed quiz, where you take <laughs> it and you're just like, well, I know this stuff about myself, so I'm probably going to get this thing. Mm-hmm. And so I like the idea. My, my idea for like an alternate Harry Potter universe is if there's four completely arbitrary houses and the Mm -hmm. sorting hat is kind of like a god that puts people Mm -hmm. together based on balance and so it put Mm -hmm. it put these people like malfoy with well the thing was i i don't think malfoy needed to be with particularly evil people for example or like like malfoy's two friends are really stupid why are they Slytherins? Like, they're not particularly cunning or interesting or anything like that. They're just kind of... Everyone... We're going to get to this, but everyone in Slytherin is kind of a blank slate. I think that Rowling realized too late that the most interesting possible story was to have people whose personalities really complemented each other. That's why Harry was kind of the natural Gryffindor, by definition... And Ron was the natural Hufflepuff, and Hermione was a natural Ravenclaw. And that kind of made sense, because having them balance each other and interact with each other was interesting. But they all had to be in the same place for narrative purposes. So I... Well, see, uh, if I can jump in real quick. Yeah, please. I actually disagree with you. I disagree that that would be more interesting, that this sort of arbitrary house system. Well, I don't know if it would be less interesting, but I don't think that the houses would have caught on in the same way if that had been the oh, case. Oh, they definitely wouldn't have. Like, I agree with I, that. I kind of like the idea that the sorting hat isn't omnipotent it, so much as he reaches into a person and what they know about themselves and is able to just sort of make that more visible. You know, it's it's not decision-making on a sort of arbitrary scale. It's looking at their personality traits and saying, you fit into this place. Yeah. And there's something really cool about that. Um, and if we can kind of, like, jump off of that into uh, Ravenclaw a little bit, if that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, moving. for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, um, when I was growing up, these books came out, um, I guess I must have been, like, 10 or 11. No. We, we were really young when these books came out, but they didn't really catch on in, in America, I feel like, until we were like eight or something. Okay, yeah, So, but relatively young is my point. When I first sort of started reading these. Yeah, we were, yeah we I'm trying to remember. Young. I feel like I'm going to look up when they came out. Keep talking. Yeah, and so, but my point is that like when I was reading them, <laughs> we used to like, you know, play act being members of Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, and it was just fate accompli we were both Gryffindors because Gryffindors were the best 
and we were gonna we were gonna be Gryffindors. Why would we want to be anything? And else? also, we needed to be in the same house so that our so that our imaginary avatars could hang out. Yeah, exactly. Which is which uh, is which is part of like honestly the key crux of this and why all of these people needed to be <laughs> in the same house, even though they're totally different. But the thing was, it was really interesting because as I kind of got older and I learned more about myself, like I sort of used uh, the Harry Potter houses to kind of understand myself better. You know. Uh, I realized as I got older that no, I thought of myself as somebody who liked learning and who was witty and uh, was knowledgeable. And so as I sort of went along, like having Ravenclaw's a kind of anchoring point, um, I remember in college was when I uh, really was like, I am a Ravenclaw and that is it. For me, it really helped me understand myself better to have that as uh, a sort of point to kind of look at and say, okay, which of these am I most like? And I think that's also part of the reason why these houses are so important because like they're shorthand for how you think of yourself. Um, and especially because they, they were coming out these books when we were, when our generation specifically was growing up and becoming like kind of real people <laughs> yeah, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah having that those houses to sort of the moment when i realized that i wasn't a gryffindor and in fact i was a ravenclaw was a in a really stupid way was it really important for me yeah because it was the moment that i kind of was honest with myself and saying i'm not a particularly brave person i'm not particularly interested in glory yeah well I, i'm interested in other things uh and so like I think part of why these houses are so important is because they allow us to be honest with ourselves in a way that it's much more difficult if you don't have that easy kind of rubric to put yourself in. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's interesting the way – well, I mean it's it's kind of almost like – it's nothing new to have people sort of think of how they are in the context of – using using like fictional characters for example as a mm -hmm. reference point and so this i think just takes that level to a slightly more interesting level where you can have certain aspects of your identity come from some a source of fiction you love but without having the nuances of a personal character that you couldn't totally connect with yeah exactly you can't like look at harry yeah. and say i am harry because he's been yeah. through a completely different life and has a lot of things that aren't like you. Yeah. But you look at a Gryffindor and you're like, this is a very archetypical description of a person and it has a lot of room for wiggle. Yeah. And so, and um, so to, yeah. to be honest, I mean, and again, there's Harry Potter is fantastic. They're great books. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to be overly critical here. I think that there was a way to either have houses that weren't so rooted in personality or, and you're, the argument you just made, actually, I found very convincing. Maybe the neater way would have just been a way to make it plausible that people in different houses could all be a part of the same plot line. So I think it was interesting because I think that mm -hmm. beca because this is a book that was written for children, obviously, I think she wrote it with those houses, with those specific personality traits as a way of coding to young readers, these people are the heroes and these people are not, even though it, the definitions did become a lot more nuanced than that. And I think it's interesting because from that basic idea of coding good versus evil and heroes versus villains, it grew into this much more nuanced system that resonated with fans. And I think that fans deserve a lot of credit for taking the, this house system to a new level in complexity. 
you look at something like Star Wars to bring in Star Wars real quick. Uh, it it they have a similar sort of situation where Rowling's great accomplishment with these books was not so much the novelty of the story or even necessarily the strength of the narrative as well written as those books are. Yeah. What she did much in the way that Lucas did with star Wars is that she created a world that was fertile. You know, it, it had a lot of opportunity and it was very nurturing of other stories and experiences. And it, it allowed these people to take these relatively, like you said, kind of paper two dimensional ideas you know Gryffindor, Gryffindor are the good guys Slytherin are the bad guys Ravenclaw are smart I guess and Hufflepuffs are kind of lame and turn that into a world of real personality and and the fans were able to take that and derive meaning from that because uh, Rowling created a world that people wanted to live in yeah and and you're right I think that the houses became more nuanced as her audience became more nuanced in large part because the audience was the one who was generating that nuance because they looked at Gryffindor and they looked at her description of it and said, that's not me. I'm more like this. What does that, what does that mean if I'm more like yeah. a Ravenclaw? And it sort of forced this expansion of meaning for the other sort of unimportant houses. It's kind of interesting. I feel like we've covered a lot of the things that we wanted to cover when we talked about this just in the context of talking about Gryffindor and it kind of spilled over into the other houses do you want to quickly go through Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw and like specifically discuss the way that they really have no impact on the plot at all? <laughs> Let's do a quick rundown. Take out all of the take out all of the what Ravenclaw has become from the outside fans and think of it this way. What do we know about them from the books and what role do they play in this story? Ravenclaw, they're smart and they're good at Quidditch. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the thing. And I kind of wish that that had been something that happened a bit more because mm-hmm. all of the dramatic all of the dramatic Quidditch games that they had in the books were about Gryffindor versus Slytherin because Harry had to beat Malfoy to get the snitch. Speaking of forced things. Yeah, that was incredibly forced. Draco Malfoy Slytherin Seeker was ridiculous. And that's <laughs> and that's the other thing that I kind I kind of thought that they could have done better. And they yeah. could have made an interesting high school metaphor there. I kind of like the idea of the Ravenclaws being kind of the overachieving, really awesome like kind of jockey people. Yeah. There's always like a group of people in like a high school who it's like they're really smart and they're like awesome athletes, like the type of people who go to like the best colleges when mm-hmm. they graduate. And so thinking about it that way, I kind of would have liked the idea if there had been a little running plot line at the at the back of every book where the Ravenclaws are always are always in the mix for like the house cup. Which, by the way, is not even a storyline in the books after the first one, really. The House Cup? Yeah. Do they like? Yeah. Do they win any other year? Do they discuss the who Gryffindors? Wins? Yeah. Well, Harry starts like blacking out toward the end of most seasons. Yeah. Like, he goes off and does something completely unrelated. Yeah. Or like, like in the fourth book, there is no House Cup because of the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah, and in the second uh, book, there is no House Cup because students are getting kidnapped by snakes. Yeah, it's like a thing that they kind of establish as the sort of Fellowship of the Ring, like world yeah. building uh, book. But then after that, they're kind of like, okay, now you know how that works. Yeah. This is going to kind of take a backseat. So I think they kind of mention it offhand yeah. a few more times. But yeah, you're right. In large part, it's kind of 
not a concern past the yeah, first book. But I think that kind of would have been interesting, especially in the context of I think instead of shoehorning, like making Malfoy play Quidditch, <laughs> which was which again I think was just totally cheap. Yeah, that was one of the few like really cheap things I feel like she did. I think it would have been kind of cool if it had just been like we gotta beat Ravenclaw, you guys, like because it seemed like. I don't think they actually ever played Ravenclaw in the book in like other than like off the page. Right. So to in, speak. in in scenes yeah. that were written down, they yeah. don't. But as you pointed out, usually whenever Gryffindor loses, they lose to Ravenclaw. Yeah, so it's specifically <laughs> it happens specifically in the first and the third books this yeah. thing happens. So in the first book, Harry wakes up from his coma because he was defeating the Dark Lord, <laughs> and somehow they couldn't reschedule his Quidditch match until until the Savior woke up. Hey man, they only got so much daylight. Yeah, England's a tough so, place. They gotta they gotta yeah. get in the games while they can. And so I think after they're done congratulating Harry for saving the Earth again. They're just like, oh, by the way, when's Quidditch? And Rod's like, oh, that happened while you were passed out. Like, <laughs> we got slaughtered by Ravenclaw. Yeah. And then there's a moment in, I think it's in like, the, the, it's one of the times they win where they get destroyed by Ravenclaw. And it just seems like they're kind of the giant. And it doesn't make sense that they ever don't win. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm well, pretty sure there's never an instance where Gryffindor beats them. Um, I don't know. I, I'd honestly have to go back. I haven't looked at like the, yeah. the tables of the of the Quidditch uh, house competitions. You know, these are I the type of go things, back to the box scores and there's, check there's out. There's got to like, be there's got to be like a website or like maybe, there's definitely a Tumblr dedicated to yeah, it. Yeah, where it's just <laughs> like yeah, exactly. And so that would have been kind of cool. And I think that would have been like more like high schooly because not everything is life and death. It could there could have just been a chapter where Harry has to take on the Ravenclaw people in Quidditch because everyone all the fans loved Quidditch. Who doesn't yeah. love Quidditch? Well, I don't this understand. is this actually goes into yeah. I think the best life of the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, is like a CW style TV show where you just sort of follow a bunch of people who go to Hogwarts. Yeah, and you know you arrange each season as a year. Yeah. And just sort of, like, let stuff like that happen. Like, make it be not about, like, saving the world, but about, like, some dude trying to pass potions. Or, like, the Quidditch star who really wants, like, Hufflepuff to become a great Quidditch house again. You know, like, those are the stories that I think actually resonate more with uh, the audience. Um, Yeah. Because, like, ultimately, the reason why we read those books, again, isn't because we want to know what happens to harry i mean to a certain extent we do i mean i mean we did i think hindsight's 2020 i think a good instance and a good example of this Mm -hmm. is of all of the directions that rowling could have taken for her first official work Mm -hmm. after in the harry potter universe i think that that would have been a much more interesting avenue to go down than a two-night four-act play about (laughs) harry potter being a bad dad yeah, because the secret, alert. The, the secret of the the Harry Potter universe is that Harry is the least interesting character or aspect of it. I wouldn't even necessarily go that far because I really li- I liked Harry a lot. Mm-hmm. But but I th- what I think that you're getting at is that it's a totally self sustaining world without him. Yeah, like I I would read I would read a book about Hogwarts mm-hmm. about a bunch of kids at Hogwarts where no nothing is related to them yeah exactly we we yeah. want to just have the opportunity to live yeah. in that world 
maybe like harry could just be president but it's just <laughs> yeah. like oh yeah president potter or whatever because yeah then you can explore yeah. things like the intricacies of house cup yeah. competitions or yeah. like you, you could have an entire i was saying this to you like how much would you pay to see like a quintessential sports movie centered around a quidditch team i think it would be pretty cool honestly like varsity blues but with quidditch or friday night lights but with quidditch and there are just i think what people want from the harry potter universe now especially is just the opportunity to live there more. yeah and i think one of the like you said one of the things that they would love to see is the the sort of ins and outs of a hogwarts quidditch season yeah it'd be a great netflix original series by the way <laughs> yeah yeah get at us uh publishers we're Sp- like we got all sorts of great harry potter related i i have like seven hundred thousand ideas. ideas yeah and this but- is um this is the thing about cursed child not again because we neither of us have read it i don't know if it's good or not um i've read the plot summary though so i basically read it but it's amazing to me that of the seven hundred thousand potential ideas for the harry potter universe like rolling happened to find maybe like i don't know maybe the fifth or sixth least interesting one <laughs> and made that into the story your cool yeah. adolescent hero is now a middle-aged dad yeah like who wanted that <laughs> i definitely did not so i think the biggest mistake and i think why i'm so excited about fantastic beasts is that we get to see another part of that world that fantastic world gets expanded beasts. yeah it, it gets expanded in a way that isn't necessarily connected to harry potter yeah um and i think that's really exciting because what we love about that world is imagining our place in it and so by seeing more of it by definition, we're able to find more places to insert ourselves. Can we talk about Hufflepuff for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also known as every... Hufflepuff is somehow the worst house, according (laughs) to popular demand. Yeah. And I don't understand why that's the case. Because they're kind and just, and they believe in fairness and justice. I think because... And they're hardworking and they're diligent. And it's just, it's an interesting... Not to get too overly analytical on this, but it's kind of an interesting thing about the types of things that we value as a collective culture. Mm -hmm. Things like loyalty and fairness and justice in this universe appear to be less important when compared to being bold and brave and wanting glory. Like, though, it seems like those are the type of people who should be heroes. Not instead of Gryffindor, but that's Mm. why it would have been nice to see, like, Hufflepuffs be heroes, too. Well, I think it's that not all Hufflepuffs. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) no, but I think... Hashtag not all Hufflepuffs. Yeah, it gets to a really interesting thing, because I think all of the characteristics of the Hufflepuff are either things we take for granted, like being a good friend, or being fair, or we don't really value, like you're sort of saying. So I think why people don't want to be Hufflepuffs is because they're like, the reason why I said not all Hufflepuffs is because they're kind of like the quintessential capital N nice guy house. Do you think Drake would have been a Hufflepuff? No, Drake would have totally been a Slytherin. <laughs> uh, Drake, no, Drake would be, is a Hufflepuff, but he's like so concerned with being a Slytherin that he actually is a Slytherin. Yeah. Uh, no, but like, but I think that's the point is that what a Hufflepuff is has nothing really to recommend itself you know it's yeah. all stuff that we all think you should be no matter what it's just being like a good like hard-working person exactly and, it's just and, another instance not to harp on this but mm-hmm. 
it's another instance where the personality coding aspect of it kind of came back to haunt her. Mm-hmm. I think that having it be such a strong identity point and a personality point, yeah. like I said, you, you've convinced me why that's a good idea and why that works. Mm-hmm. I think that it could have been more mutually exclusive p- points of personality. I think that's sort of the big overarching I think, I issue think with that's the house the structure. Failure. Yeah, yeah, is that ultimately a gryffindor like a brave person isn't yeah. really um, doesn't really amount to much if they're yeah. not also smart or they're yeah. not also kind cuz it cuz that's it's like, sort of the problem it's like it's like what what kind of person do you want to be mm-hmm. the gryffindor is almost like the politician who's on the front lines who likes to be the public speaker he likes to be the leader he likes to be the ceo yeah. of sorts or she not not to use all masculine pronouns here yeah god mick the the huffle <laughs> the hufflepuff i feel like is the hufflepuff is the person who it's almost more important about from like where that person is comfortable where they don't need to be on the front lines they don't need to be the person who gets all the attention and the praise and the glory they just want to do their job but the thing is every single story of heroism in this entire in history and also in a lot of fictional cases there's the people who get all the credit and the glory, and then there's tons of people who don't, who aren't remembered, in part because they didn't particularly care to be. Right. I think that would have been an easy and positive lesson that Rowling could have baked into that house structure, and I think she kind of took a way out without doing it. Instead, she kind of shoehorned characters in and were said, well, like... Here's a good example. Cedric Diggory is a Hufflepuff, mm-hmm. and we don't really know why. Right? Yeah, he seems he's like just a just a generally like all around good guy. Yeah, but he's no more of like an all around good guy than Harry is. He, I would say, he's more of an all around good guy than Harry is. He he fights dragons and goes through mazes and stuff, and he's mm-hmm. a seeker who defies like death on a broomstick. So it's not as if he's not really brave. He's extremely popular and kind of the all-American golden boy. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but think that he was a Hufflepuff because J.K. Rowling was just like, well, we haven't had a Hufflepuff in a while. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And it's like, congratulations. Imagine if you're a kid who gets sorted into Hufflepuff on Pottermore and the most famous Hufflepuff in the book series is <laughs> gets someone who he through. gets wasted. Yeah, he's yeah. called yeah. Within within literally 5 seconds, like he wins he wins the cup and then as soon as he gets the glory and brings glory to Hufflepuff, he literally dies. And that's messed up to me. Yeah, it does cuz like yeah. ultimately I think it puts you in a really interesting situation cuz you have like like you said the sort of people who want to be Gryffindors. The like I am the hero of the story. I'm awesome. Yeah. Of course, I want to be a Gryffindor. Then, like you said, you have sort of the alt people who are like, no, I'm I'm Gryffindor is for like mainstream people. I'm going to be a Ravenclaw. Yeah, I'm and smart then you have, and like, I'm edgy and yeah. I'm clever. Yeah. And then you have your contrarians who are just like, screw it, man. I'm a Slytherin. Like, let's do this. Let's burn the world. But yeah. the only people who don't really have a place are Hufflepuffs. Yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, this is fun. I'm like, nice. Like, great so exciting yeah they're they're typified by one by wonderful personality traits and one of those is loyalty yeah which i think loyalty is probably the best thing about the weasleys well i was about to say the entire family of course Ginny's the same way yeah of course also the like least 
the person who gets dumped on the most of the three the three heroes is Ron, who yeah. is the Hufflepuff of the group. Yeah. So like even in the group of Gryffindors, like the one who outside of the books has kind of had the worst go of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, you have Rowling being like, man, I really shouldn't have put him and Hermione together. Like, that marriage is going to be miserable. Yeah, exactly. Which was, which I, I agree with, but Wh- also... Which, yeah, as two confirmed members of the SS Harry Hermione, uh, yeah. we agree with. But it, it speaks to that point that, like, ultimately, Hufflepuff has been, become synonymous with, oh, great, what else can you do? Oh, yeah. nothing? Like, that sucks. You're kind of dumb. And that's not fair because I think they, like you said, the hallmarks of that house are all wonderful things that we all should aspire to. Yeah. But I think because we take those things for granted, that's why, like, if you're not a good person and then also smart, or if you're a good person but also brave. Yeah. uh, Like, that's, those are the things that we really define ourselves by in value because we sort of assume that you should be a good person already. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because, and I literally just thought of this, Mm -hmm. when Ron gets sorting hatted, Mm -hmm. the hat's just like, oh, Weasley, I know where you belong, like, and the thing is, why? Yeah. The Weasleys are, I mean, if you think about the Weasleys, they're like a classic, like, hardworking, decent, like, working class family. Yeah, sort of the quintessential Central England family. Yeah, like, the mom, as far as I can tell, doesn't work. The dad is a cog in the family who, in the ministry yeah who yeah. who would probably make enough money to support like a normal sized family but not one with like 12 kids and i feel like if anyone was going to be a hufflepuff they're the perfect poster children for that yeah they're decent they're hard-working they're level-headed quick like, thing though yeah something that got lost in the translation between the books and the movies yeah like Ginny is a boss <laughs> in the books like Ginny is like fiery and she is a quintessential Gryffindor uh, in the sense that she is like gung ho and like totally awesome. Uh, and in the book, she's a lot more sort of mousy or in the movie, she's a lot more sort of mousy. Yeah, um, that was that was something that the movies definitely. Screwed yeah. Up. And so like that's where I can see the argument that like she's clearly a Gryffindor. Yeah. But I agree with you. And and you have like your Bill. Bill they is didn't, the They didn't dragon all have tamer. to be in the same house. They're very different people. That's the thing. I think the yeah. thing is that ultimately they're very different people. And so the fact that they're all in Gryffindor sort of, like you said, it sort of speaks to this idea that they have these character traits, but ultimately the houses are kind of arbitrary based on family, based on what the narrative needs. Yeah. It's a lot of things. By the way, that would be a fascinating... Um, like movie or tv show idea you have a set of twins or family members who get sorted into different houses and they sort of have to reckon with that and like well what makes us different and that like, would be a great idea yeah and it's yeah. kind of and then also what type of people will they become exactly it'd and, be an interesting nature versus nurture type of thing yeah like uh and this is the thing like i think by forcing all of the weasleys into the same house yeah you sort of give this implication that everybody from a single family is the same yeah, well, there, there's a certain thing. I think that the only way that this can be done right is if J.K. Rowling does what George Lucas did with Star Wars, where she relinquishes sole possession of the characters and of the world, mm-hmm. and obviously is rewarded extremely handsomely for them <laughs> yeah, because yeah. she because uh, she deserves she deserves all the billions of dollars that she has. Yeah, but. 
I would be really interested to see people like really talented writers and and filmmakers and like TV directors of this of like this generation who grew up on those books and not just people our age but people 10 but people like 10 to 20 years older than us who who these were an important part of their of their young life even if they were older than we were when they read them and it would be interesting to see all of those people putting their own spin on things yeah because i think that's how ideas move forward yeah you know somebody has a great idea but the thing that makes it great is you know x person bringing this uh, yeah. sense or you know y person bringing this idea to it and exploring yeah. it in a different way yeah and that was and the thing is i feel like harry potter kind of needs its own force awakens well it's there's a lot of talk of expanded universes right now like, i don't know if i want that though well well this is what i'm saying like hear me out before we go into it like yeah harry potter much like star wars is one of the few properties that i can look at and say that really is deserving of an expanded universe because it is an idea that has a kernel of interest that can be applied across so many places and in so many areas and styles and genres that it is worth it's it's worthy of that sort of thing that's being handed out willy-nilly it feels like yeah you know like do we really need a like I'm trying to think of the most ridiculous example of like the quote unquote. Oh, the Ghostbusters universe. expanded universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen because that movie sadly did not make yeah, a lot of as money. As awesome as that is, and as much as Kate McKinnon is a goddess who walks the earth, like, <laughs> that yeah. yeah, you're probably right about that. But like that never needed an expanded universe. Like Harry Potter is very much a universe that deserves that moniker, because. Well, you look at you look at once again going back to Fantastic Beasts. By the way, this podcast sponsored by Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. It's basically Indiana Jones in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Yeah, that's who's not signing cool. up for that? That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I I would have liked to see, and I would like to see someone other than Rowling. Yeah, take ownership of that because for starters, just because she's a really ex- really successful writer which obviously she is and mm-hmm. her writing credentials are not to be challenged that doesn't mean that she necessarily has the type of cultural omnipotence that it takes to apply it across the world like she tried to make american wizardry and ended up with a sort of with a slightly culturally insensitive kind of bastardization of native american mysticism yeah yeah and and that's the type of thing that someone from that world i think could handle more sensitively like for and by the same token i don't know if she would necessarily be the best voice to talk about the wizarding world in in eastern asia for example right yeah i would be interested to see people who are raised in that sort of asian cultural tradition and who are fans of the harry potter series kind of matching those two those two cultural worlds together yeah the thing about the harry potter universe is that rowling has proven herself to be very good at a certain thing yeah and ultimately because she's a person who has finite strengths and weaknesses she needs to hand that off to people who have knowledge in other areas who can expand this great idea and I would love to see that sort of moving forward. Like once I assume Fantastic Beast makes all the money, I would love to see them get a little bit bolder 
and see where else they can go and yeah. how tenuously they can tie things to Harry Potter. And if and if Rowling is willing to kind of let her hand off the reins a bit, yeah, exactly. Because I, I think I think that to a degree, I okay. I I want to be careful about saying this because this is a very presumptive thing to mm-hmm. say. I think she kind of likes the idea of being a cultural tastemaker. Yeah, I, I I just think it's true. I think in the way that, for example, that she weighed in by saying that Trump was worse than Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she kind of chimes in on things that really she are not in her area of expertise at all. I, I think she kind of likes, I think she likes being famous and I think she likes being beloved. And I think she likes being a sort of cultural tastemaker and arbiter and a trendsetter. And I'm interested to see if there will come a point where she's willing to kind of let let go of her of her universe and i'm not saying that it's cut and dry because it's probably extremely difficult just to grapple with the idea of letting go of something that's been so much of your life Mm -hmm. and i think it would probably be hard to see someone make big choices about that world without your input at all yeah and i it'd be that's a tough thing to do yeah but you certainly hope she would because i think that's that's the best way for anything to get better not just uh something like jk rowling i think we we give a lot of credence to this idea of the sort of monolithic creator but ultimately much of the great stuff that we have is a product of people with different skills and interests working together so can we talk real quick i would like to share i want to share my idea of what a good version of harry potter or a better version of harry potter cursed child would have been yeah what a good sequel to harry's story would have been i know that this wasn't the point but slytherins are evil yeah according to the language of the book writes the book yeah those people are evil right they have no defining characteristic other than that they are weak-willed enough to be bent i don't know about weak-willed but i know what you mean one way or another by hook or by crook they do bad things no but it's like like there's nothing is Malfoy smart? Uh, he he no. certainly doesn't do anything that's particularly smart. He gets used <laughs> as a stooge. He it's established that the only reason he plays Quidditch is because he bought he bought his way onto the team. Right. His two people, Crab and Goyle, but which by the way, it's worth mentioning. Once he gets on the team, he matches Harry in terms of quality as a player, which is questionable, but it does happen. <laughs> yeah, no. See, I think that was kind of I think that was kind of a MacGuffin and kind of just lazy lazy storytelling. I agree with you, on but JK's like, it's, part. it's worth it's worth mentioning that he does match Harry b- blow for blow in a lot of ways. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And in and in my in my alternate universe where Harry's Quidditch rivals are the Ravenclaws, like <laughs> yeah. they should be. Yeah. That would not happen. Yeah. But Crab and Goyle are so stupid that they can barely speak. Yeah. And every time you meet a Slytherin, they're absolutely just a nasty garbage person. Right, yeah. I know that she maybe envisioned it as they're just ambitious and they're willing to do what it takes to get ahead and they're so driven to get what they to pursue what's right for that or what's mm-hmm. right that they'll do it by any means necessary yeah you do you want to make the hillary clinton joke or should i i was actually gonna say i want to take this moment to put up who i think is the perfect slytherin and i think Ill- illustrative of the fact that it's not necessarily that you're a bad person at all. I, I thought I thought Hillary is a good example. I don't think Hillary's a bad person. I, I but I think there's actually a more perfect uh, example. 
I'm interested to hear this. This is uh, Hit me. Dear, our dear friend Swizzy T, Taylor Swift. Oh, is the fr- ultimate friend of, friend of the podcast yeah. Taylor Swift. She's the ultimate Slytherin. Oh, she absolutely and, is. And and I'm not. I don't know. I have my questions about her from a personality perspective. Some people think Taylor Swift is evil, but I don't think she's a bad person. Yeah, I think she's entitled and she's conniving, and but I don't necessarily want to say that that means she's bad. Yeah, I think she, th- this is the example of a Slytherin. We look at somebody like Taylor Swift and we see some of the things she does, and we say, "Oh, she must be a bad person." But yeah. ultimately, she's just playing the game. She's doing what she needs to do to be successful, to make money, yeah. and to be popular. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that's what a Slytherin is because we graft our moral judgments onto that. Yeah. When in reality, like her entire business is a farce. And so all she's doing is making that far- that farce work for by, her. By her whole business, you mean, sorry, just to clarify, by her whole business, you mean the music the industry. The mainstream music industry. Yeah, okay. Yeah, is, is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> and totally true. And she's just working that ridiculousness to succeed. Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong or bad about that. But we look at her and we think, ugh, I don't, I don't like her. And yeah. I think that's kind of how, like... Because I agree with you. I think ultimately at the beginning, Rowling said, okay, Gryffindors, these are the good guys, and they have to have a rival, the antithesis, and that's yeah. going to be Slytherin. And as it sort of developed, as it got more nuance, uh, it had to be something different than that. Yeah. And so what we got was a series of characteristics that we kind of attach moral negativity to. Ambitiousness, like you said, a willing to do what it takes even if it's not always necessarily uh, what we would call like just or fair. Yeah, but it's also kind of it became more synonymous the way Rowling wrote it as taking the easy way to the top. Yeah, like so, having money or glomming on to more powerful people or just be doing whatever people say, even if it's bad. Right. So I so I just I think it's another example of where could she have thrown us a bone and just have oh here's a Slytherin who's like not willing to go along with what the evil Slytherins want the do, the, the is... hashtag never Voldemort crowd yeah yeah exactly or the hashtag not all Slytherins crowd no so, we already made the Hufflepuff joke <laughs> but anyway this but this yeah the hashtag never Voldemort crowd. yeah yeah this ties actually perfectly into my idea for what should have been the Harry Potter sequel yeah yeah which was the way that I envision this is it's maybe like four or five years after the events of the seventh book mm-hmm. and the wizarding government has been completely rebuilt and there's a new person in charge, whoever it is who gets elected. My idea was that the government over there, those four or five years has been swept with a movement to have all people, once they're sorted into Slytherin, be quarantined or imprisoned and they're raised completely separately from all the other houses under very strict supervision and they're only allowed to join society if they prove that they're like that they're not evil right because literally every evil person went to slytherin and i know that like like Rowling like shoehorned in this stupid thing where it's just like no but Snape went to Slytherin so he's a good one Uh but like the way that they resolved Snape's story was beautiful where it turned out that he was like looking out for Harry the whole time yeah 
But he also conducted himself as like a very vile person. Well, to be fair, he was playing the part. He was playing the part but, of a Slytherin. But no, no, no. He was playing the part of a Death yeah. Eater. Yeah. Because he had he was the <laughs> he was sort of the Dark Knight, the person that you know. Why do we chase him? Because or why does he run? Because we have to chase him. Yeah, the hero that they deserve. Yeah, no, but yeah. like, but I think it's very fitting as well that the reason why he protects Harry isn't because he wants to do the right thing or because he has any belief that he wants to be the yeah. hero. He does it because he loves his mother. He, uh, he, I'm sorry, because he's in love with Lily Potter. He loves that was Harry's very mother. strange. Like, yeah, not yeah. It's not like a. It's not like a psycho type of thing. Yeah, and that's a very Slytherin reason to do the yeah, right thing. It's, it's self-serving. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, there's nothing this, we, we attach negativity to that. Self self-serving. Some of the greatest, some of the greatest like accomplishments in human history were because of extremely self-serving people. Yeah. And, and I think that what you're talking about with this book idea brings up a yeah. really interesting question because it's something that's very relevant right now. Yeah. And because there are inevitably going to be those people who put, one and one together to get three which is oh well all of the bad people across history have been slytherins so therefore everybody who is a slytherin must have potential to be bad until we vetted them properly yeah and not to bring up the bogeyman of american politics right now but that sounds a lot like donald trump yeah well exactly and the thing is but the thing is like donald trump is nothing new i mean exactly type of hysteria and fear has led to atrocity in all sorts of systems exactly. all across history. Yeah, it would be really interesting to watch this world that we love yeah. and we find so idyllic have yeah. to re- have to wrestle with a very real, very dirty, very negative aspect of human nature, which is yeah. to mistrust and to want to sometimes put too many restrictions on something in order to make sure that they're safe without thinking about how that affects the actual people who are being restricted. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been interesting to have Harry who was just looking to fade into like normal, a normalcy of existence Mm -hmm. after his horrendously traumatic teenage years Mm -hmm. suddenly get dragged back onto the world stage because he has such he his opinion carries so much weight and he's so valued and by the way he was almost a slytherin but he aggressively said he didn't want to be and he would have to square with that too like yeah there could be there could be a plot line of this where it's just like oh if slytherins aren't bad why did you try so hard to be one or not to be one? yeah and and he can take that role that he has to kind of try to avoid or yeah. maybe he doesn't it uh, it depends on what kind of story you want to tell yeah. Of the, you know, because the thing that's very popular to do this right now, unfortunately and unfairly, is Islam. And yeah. one of the biggest sort of anti-Islamic weapons that people use as a sort of broad, aggressive, like, Islam is bad, period, are the converts. The people who used to be Muslims and say, like, I escaped that toxic uh, religion. Yeah. And Harry be- can become that figure because they're like, well, you, the Sorting Hat said you were a Slytherin. But obviously you fought against your quote unquote baser instincts and weren't that. And so there's that sort of that pernicious relationship of that person who rebukes something that people are trying to push away. They become this sort of force that says, see, this is how you know that uh, this thing is evil. Yeah. And so it, it would have been interesting because I feel like P would have become a symbol of the anti Slytherin crowd for that reason. Yeah. But also Even if he didn't want to be, necessarily. Yeah, 
but also it, it's very easy to imagine him and his friends like fighting in favor of the Slytherins. Yeah, and the thing is that like the reason why I think this is so interesting is that this yeah. is an inevitable. Like you look at the world as Rowling created it, and this is going to happen. You can guarantee that it's going to happen. Yeah, because that's how people work. Unfortunately, it's yeah. it's sad to say that, but that's how people work. There will always be these factions of people who see the world's problems as being created by a particular group and see the yeah. solution as eliminating or restricting that group. Yeah, and there would definitely be like someone in Harry's circle. I mean, not like I hate to say it, but it would definitely be Ron. We'd just <laughs> yeah. be like, maybe we should lock all of them up. Well, yeah, because the Slytherins have always been cruel. They to, are all evil. To the, the Weasleys. Could could any of them name a person that they think positively of from Slytherin? Not based on their experiences that we read about in those books. Exactly. And that's, yeah. I think, it highlights a corn, yet another corner that she's painted herself into, but one that I think yeah. Rowling should reckon with. Because I think it's it's the right time, certainly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a powerful it, allegorical message for any time. And yeah, it's just, it's a really interesting exploration of a house that has been given sort of has been yoked with being the bad guys. Yeah. When there are a lot of good qualities about being a Slytherin. Yeah. You know, oh, and also another good thing is like the quote unquote good Slytherins who are now being persecuted would say to Harry when it comes out that he fought not to be in Slytherin, they would have just been like, you were the chosen one. You could have fought for us yeah. and you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Or and like so, you have these people who are like, well, when a Gryffindor some, says something bad, it's yeah. just, they're just written off. It's like, whatever, they're crazy. But yeah. why do we have to answer for every bad Slytherin, even though we're good? Like, I mean, it, yeah. the, it's funny because the story writes itself. Yeah, it would it, it would be so it would be so easy. It has such rich meaning and applicability that it feels like a no brainer. And by the way, mm. this isn't this isn't just a phenomenon in America. No, I mean xenophobia or sort of hysterical xenophobia is a thing in Europe too. Well, and remember, I mean, we we ourselves have perpetrated this. Yeah, we did it in Japan, not just with the internment camps during World War II. But in the sort of radical re-education that we did after World War II. Yeah. And it happened in Germany as well. It's still happening in Germany. Uh, less so now, but certainly back um, earlier, like in the late mid to late 20th century, yeah. you had, I mean, anything viewed as Nazi sympathizing was illegal. I'm pretty sure it's a jailable offense to display like the Nazi flag. Yeah. For and example, and obviously in Germany, that's, even even to this day, right? And that's more cut and dry. Obviously, there yeah. are no redeeming qualities to Nazis. Well, and also, unlike in this hypothetical scenario with Slytherin, like there is a choice. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like you yeah. have to actively choose to follow this ideology. To follow, Whereas yeah. If if we would ha if we believe what Rowling tells us, the Sorting Hat process is largely involuntary. Yeah, but then the same like the same instance with like like for example Malfoy. It ends, the Malfoy at the end of the book is, like, him dropping his son off. Mm -hmm. And, like, he and Harry just, like, nod at each other. It's like, that dude is not sending his kids to Hogwarts. Yeah, that... That, that dude's life is over. Right. Like, that dude is, that dude is living off of his family money all alone. Yeah. Because he is yeah. poison. Yeah, exactly. And we have to sort of reckon with... That moment where we ask ourselves, well, yeah, the Slytherins are all evil. Maybe this is something that's valid. 
and because I think the big thing about uh, I'm again sorry to bring Donald Trump back into this, but huh. the thing that I think is our greatest flaw in the way that you and I and others have sort of dealt with Trump is that we think those people are not us. They will never be us. You know, they are inherently wrong. They are backwards. They don't understand the way the world is. So, so wait, wait, to, to be clear, to be clear, you're saying that like people like us think that we would never, we would never see eye to eye with Trump's ideology. We would never get to a point where we would look at a problem and say, Oh, well, we would never entertain. It's not that we would, because I feel very strongly that neither of us would ever come to the conclusion that that is the right answer. But but by saying that we would never even entertain in the very basis part of ourselves, these sort of ideas, if we hit bottom in the way that some of his supporters have. Like, for example, Ron losing his brother. Yeah. Like, when when we hit rock bottom, we like to think that we're better than ever entertaining Trump as a potential savior. But... I think we do ourselves and the country at large a disservice because the thing that we have to do is look honestly at ourselves and say, yes, that is a part of humanity. Clearly there is something wrong with our wiring as people that we, when things get tough, explore this as an option. Yeah. Well, that, that there, that there so clearly is a baser instinct for us to turn on each other when things get difficult. And so the thing to do is not to act like you aren't susceptible to that, but it's to see the ways in which you are susceptible to that, reckon with them and make sure you never give in to them. Yeah. And one great way to do that would be through a Harry Potter story where the characters that we love have to reckon with this because it puts it in a context where like you and I, I think would agree. We'd say, well, that's something that has to be explored because they are like they're all evil but then ultimately they're they're all evil but the, it's really it's or it's, it's really not crazy. that all slytherins are evil but all evil people are slytherins also every single slytherin that's in the book is evil yeah and so it's a much easier logical Snape. journey for us to say well maybe this is a good idea and and sort of hearing yourself say that and say oh my god what am i saying and having to deal with that is more valuable than than a story where it's just like oh, those are the bad people, and obviously we should never, like, do that, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's a lot harder for us to look at Islam and say, oh, well, obviously, like, we should, like I understand why some people are scared of the religion as a whole, because we are able to look at it and say, well, that's not fair. But if we're put in a situation where that logical bridge is a little easier to cross, you have to reckon with that much more aggressively, like... Why do I think that? How can I keep myself from? Yeah, that? yeah. So like, yeah. It, so like, if for example, if you're a person who the only exposure to say a Mexican immigrant is a person who's working in a job that used to be yours and someone you see on TV committing crimes, or if the absolutely the only time you've ever experienced a Muslim person is through a news story where they where someone commits a crime it's a lot easier for somebody to prey upon your past experiences of that group and say this is how they all are it's easy for people to rile people up and exploit that cultural ignorance and that would be so easy for a hypothetical fictional character to do in harry potter exactly and it's something that we have to be honest with ourselves about that this is something that is easy to appeal to if given the right conditions and something that we have to kind of train ourselves not to fall into yeah and so and that's that's just my idea for that's my idea for what would be an interesting direction for them to go in yeah. but instead we got a spoiler alert harry potter being a bad dad and something about time travel 
and and it's just disappointing because spoiler alert over it's such a it can be such a valuable world because it has such a strong connection to us it can be used for interesting or which is not to say that like it has to have a moral value but there are just so many more interesting stories and also morally valuable stories in the harry potter universe it's a little sad to see that the thing that we get is this weird, strange thing that seems kind of dumb. So I think that we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. I think we've we've given people probably more Harry Potter than they ever expected. You want to do a quick three-minute ISO on uh, on DC's most recent film uh, production, and then we'll let these people go about their yeah, lives? Yeah, so, so I, I don't even need three minutes. It's This is just going to be – I'm going to ask you to hold my phone for a second. Hold up. Hold my phone. Yeah, so – I want One to of talk these days about, we're going to get drops for those, but it is not this day. I want to talk about a movie that just came out, DC's Suicide Squad. And I haven't seen this movie, and I'm not going to because it sounds like it's sexist garbage. Yay! So, and, you know, and maybe maybe you disagree with that, in which case, fine. Please send us a tweet, and we can talk about it. But... But all I'm going to say about this is how crazy it is that DC's market strategy for this was they had one movie that was very similar to Batman versus Superman, this kind of dark, dreary, grim tone. And then when Deadpool came out and was extremely successful because it was fun and irreverent and vulgar and crazy... And then that was coupled with the flop of Batman versus Superman because everyone hated that it was so dreary and difficult. DC basically got backed into a corner and said, oh man, we have this really dark, grim movie that it's clear no one wants to see. And people very clearly want more irreverent, funny things. So rather than... Rather than changing the movie, which I guess they kind of couldn't because they were locked into a release date, they decided to gin up this marketing campaign that made it look like this fun, crazy, shootout-filled people being meta and poking fun and talking to the audience and stuff. And I just don't understand how, as a Hollywood industry, we got there, where a studio thought thinks that they can cut their movie in a trailer to make it look one way when it's so clearly the wrong way it seems like a terrible strategy it seems like it's going to build distrust with the company and it just kind of hammers home the fact that DC has done every single thing wrong in making these movies it seems I haven't seen any of them and I think that no and I think that tells you everything because I go to lots of movies and there hasn't been one of these movies where I'm just like well I might give that a try None of them are interesting to me. And it seems like this was just another misstep. And it seems like because it's directed by the immortal, like, idiot director Zack Snyder, that next year's Justice League movie is going to suck too. So I, it's just kind of funny seeing Marvel, which, for all the things that we could say badly about it, they look great, even greater every single time one of these garbage DC movies gets dropped. So that's my story of not seeing Suicide Squad and the idea of a company thinking that they could use a trailer into tricking people. It's it's like someone base it's it's like so it's like a kid cleaning their room by putting everything under the bed. 
And it's just immature, bizarre corporate thinking, and I think it's stupid. Well, no, it's very smart in the short term. It's very smart in the short term because obviously, if you look at the you look at the box office numbers, I mean, I think it beat the most recent record by something like thirty mil domestic. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy's August record. Uh, it made one hundred and thirty-five million, or it's projected to. Um, but the thing is that they forget that movies are uh, the currency of movies aren't just day one tickets. It's are you going to go back? Are you going to tell your friends to see it? Are you going to go see the next DC movie? Um, yeah. And the answer to all of those questions when you do something like this is a no. So while it may be a, a smart short term decision as it was because it conned a ton of people into seeing this movie uh, thinking it was something else. Uh, I think what you're going to see is it's going to be very negative on the back end because yeah. people are going to be like, well, now how do I know that the movie that I'm seeing in the trailers is the movie I'm going to get? And all of a sudden, DC's reputation is even worse than it was before. Which, it's already it's already basically the film studio version of a kid banging two pots and pans together. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's interesting and it does kind of make me wonder if at some point they're going to have to pull the plug on this thing. Yeah. And just acknowledge that they're dumping billions of dollars into a franchise that no one is that is just isn't getting that type of money in return. Well, I actually think this is um this is another story for another pod. Uh, I think we should think about doing a DC versus Marvel podcast. Yeah, that um, was one of my ideas. I was going to talk to you about that after we record yeah, this. Because I think what's interesting is that you look at DC movies and you look at Marvel movies, and undeniably the best movies come from DC. And that's the Batman trilogy, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Because yeah. you can just, they aim, you can aim so much higher. I think because what Marvel has decided as uh, our sort of podcast uh, heroes and Greenwald and Chris Ryan have pointed out, Marvel has clearly aimed for solid B plus. Every single one of their movies is not going to be the most amazing thing that you're going to see, but it's never going to dip below like a B, B minus. What I think DC has the opportunity to do is to ship out their properties to talented directors like Christopher Nolan and shoot for those like a's that like really genuinely high quality movies and understanding that like maybe you won't get as many of them uh maybe it'll be a little bit more of a risk whenever you try it but they can kind of present themselves as the hbo to marvel's um cbs they can be that place that you go for the like really high quality like searching superhero content Whereas Marvel is the thing that you flip on every week and it's like, oh, Castle's going to go solve a mystery. That's ABC, I realize. But you know what I mean? Like that sort of safe, warm, fuzzy, uh, procedural kind of yeah. um, studio versus DC who could position themselves as like an HBO, which is uh, harder hitting, more, more uh, edgy, more um, exciting and exploratory. I think that's sort of the place that they have to go because doing this kind of massive, ponderous, blockbustery kind of thing clearly isn't working for them. Yeah, let's uh, let's hold this thought. I think this is I think this is definitely a good idea for another podcast. Yeah, but we will we will do that sooner than we have done, or th- that will come in a shorter interval than between the previous podcast and this one. We promise. 
We're back, baby. Season two. That's what we're calling season it. Season two. We're calling we're back. it one-on-one season two. Yeah. So, so that uh, we can pretend that that summer vacation was an actual, like, deliberate choice, not just yeah. us not having time to record podcasts. Yeah. So, uh, so follow us on or subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we'll we'll put a link in. We'll put a link in this if you're listening to us on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, follow us on Twitter at one on one pod. That's numeral one on one pod. Yeah, for updates and um, if we get enough followers, even maybe some occasional updates on what we're doing. Yeah. If you tweet at us, we'll tweet back. Yeah, we promise. <laughs> yeah. And if you have any ideas for the podcast, feel free to tweet at us or send us an email at oneononepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your ideas and maybe feature it on the show. That's uh, that's pretty much all we got. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. Mm-hmm.